Futurized goes beneath the trends, tracking the underlying forces of disruption in tech, policy, business models, social dynamics, and the environment. Join me, futurist Trond Arne Unheim, PhD author, investor, and serial entrepreneur, as I discuss the societal impact of deep tech, such as AI, blockchain, IoT, nanotech, quantum, robotics, and synthetic biology, and tackle topics such as entrepreneurship trends for the future of work. I'm a research scholar in global systemic risk, innovation, and policy at Stanford University. On Futurized, I interview smart people with a soul, founders, authors, executives, and other thought leaders, or even the occasional celebrity. Futurized is a bi-weekly show preparing you to think about how to deal with the next decade's disruption so you can succeed and thrive no matter what happens. Futurized, conversations that matter. If you're new to the show, seek particular topics or are looking for a great way to tell your friends about the show, we've got the episode categories. Those are at futurized.org slash episodes. I am the co-author of Augmented Lean, a human-centric framework for managing frontline operation and the author of Health Tech Rebooting Society's Software, Hardware and Mindset Future Tech, How to Capture Value from Disruptive Industry Trends, Pandemic Aftermath, How Coronavirus Changes Global Society, the Disruption Games, How to Thrive on Serial failure and of leadership from below how the internet generation redefines the workplace for an overview you can go to trondenheim.com books at this stage futurize is lucky enough to have several sponsors and to check them out go to futurized.org sponsors if you're interested in sponsoring the podcast or to get an overview of other services provided by me including how to book me for keynote speeches please go to futurize.org store we'll consider all brands that have demonstrably positive contributions to the future. Before you do anything else, make sure you are subscribed to our newsletter on futurist.org, where you can find hundreds of episodes of conversations that matter to the future. Please also leave a positive review on iTunes. Thanks so much. Jamin, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for uh, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, you know, I thought we'd, we'd talk about uh, gaming. That seems to be something you've been uh, up to for, for some years. Yeah, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I play a couple yeah. games here and there. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Look, I, I always try to do this. Uh, I'm gonna like butcher your background in one sentence and see if I get uh, get it right. And I'm then obviously interested in how you how you all uh, you, you know packaged this all up. But uh, you you actually uh, went to Harvard and did uh, social studies. Um, I did, which could point you in many directions. But uh, you, you quickly. <laughs> Got into Wall Street Journal as an A and E uh, arts and entertainment reporter, which uh, that's quite, quite particular, I would say. And then you turned media entrepreneur, gaming that's marketing good. expert. You got, uh, I think, some PBS web series, game show, um, host of a podcast now, founder of Two Five Six Strategy Consultancy down in LA, and uh, working on and commenting on the future of gaming, having you know some big big clients. And um, yeah, so my question then is, you know, why why did you get a life in gaming? <laughs> well, I you know I had always played games, um, you know, throughout my throughout my life. That's something that I've appreciated as I as I get older. Like how my generation, I, you know, I turned forty this year, and so I'm a bit of a cusper. So between you know between Gen X and and being a millennial, but for folks certainly younger than me, you know. Anyone under the age of forty, it's the first generation of kids to grow up without knowing anything other than video games. So I think about like my parents and you know my parents and their peers, 
they had to decide, make a decision about whether or not games were going to be a part of their lives. And for me, it was already very much in the water as a you know 80s kid. So Nintendo and Sega, and then you know later on PlayStation, Xbox. Um, but I, I didn't really start getting into games seriously until until I was a journalist, and this was around 2007. And there were a lot of new game platforms that were coming out around that time. I think that was a real sea change for the games industry just because of how much activity was happening. Some of it was generational. So you had a, a generation of kids who had been growing up on video games that were now entering their 20s, had disposable income. Uh, some of it was just a, a change in technology as well. So what you saw with things like the PlayStation 3 or Xbox 360. Um, but then also this really, this this uh, widening of the gaming aperture, so to speak, in terms of the types of places that you could play games. So um, the App Store was launched right around that time. So all of a sudden you could play games on your mobile phone. Um, the Nintendo Wii came out right around that time as well, which obviously introduced you know a whole you know, a whole slew of people who were not traditionally considered, you know, quote unquote gamers who were purchasing Nintendo Wii and playing games and injuring their elbows and whatnot. And so I think there was a real, um, you know, that was around the time that you started to see also uh, just from a dollar's figure, you started to see gaming is starting to eclipse other types of commercial, other types of commercial media. So things like film, TV, books, all of that stuff, all of a sudden gaming from a, from, from a commercial standpoint is, uh, is, is really ahead. The, the, ch- the challenge has always been that the, the commercial viability of games has always moved faster than uh, the public's cultural literacy of it. And so that's where I found myself, where I was like looking at, you know, I was looking at the number of people who are playing games, the average age of a gamer at this time is like ticking up 36, 37, 38, now it's 39, which is, you know, roughly the average age of, you know, humans. Um, and, but, but what I was finding was that, you know, even though I thought there was a ton that was going on, um, I felt like there was a, a big gap and then I had a big conversation with my editor when I was at the Wall Street Journal. I was like, hey, look, this games thing is huge. I should be focusing more time and effort on that as an arts and entertainment reporter. And he was like, I don't get this games thing. So he just like shuffled me off to, you know, cover other things. And I ended up leaving and, you know, starting an independent magazine and, and media company. Um, but I started to find similar conversations with brands as well, where they sort of see, and I think that that's particularly coming out of the pandemic. I think you see things like Animal Crossing, which was very popular during the pandemic. You look at the growth of games like Roblox, uh, the continued growth of games like Minecraft, and so you start you're starting to see this like generation, particularly of like senior marketers who have kids who are playing Fortnite, who are doing things, and they're like, I get that games are a really big deal, but I don't really get it, and I need someone to help me get it. And so that's why we started Two Five Six was basically to you know help help clients be able to ultimately like get it but it all stems from like a personal like a deep interest in gaming and uh, deep intellectual interest in gaming I, I think it's uh you know it's it is the future of where entertainment is going to continue to go uh so in the macro sense like gaming is just going to continue to become a bigger and bigger piece of our lives and we're moving out of a world where people ask do you play games and we're moving into a world where people ask what games do you play that dinner table conversation the concerns that people might have about it, quote unquote exposing themselves as someone who play games uh, each year that passes, that becomes like less and less of a concern. But um, there's still a big gap, I think, between uh, there's still a big generational gap, and so we often are are helping folks who are looking for ways to either um, deal with like organizational resistance, or sometimes it's just strategic, you know, basically strategic concerns. How do we just go about taking that next step? There's so much you can do in gaming. How can I make that decision to do something interesting? Um, look, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think. It's so easy still to pigeonhole a gamer as, you know, and I have teenage kids and, you know, you, you say, oh, a teenage boy playing video games in their room. But 
but e- even even with teenagers, right? It's girls playing games, and and yet, like you said, you know, we uh, adults also g- grew up with games. How um, how do you see th- this idea of of gaming really as one unity? I mean, is there is there a common commonality here? Is is this related to to what I really did grow up with, which was board games, or is that kind yeah, of a whole yeah. different strategy? I mean, is that why yeah, we I'm, do this? Because there is a strong connection back to e- even the because I guess uh, board games has kind of this communal element of like two, three, four, like very low amount of people, right? So there's a kind of a different dynamic there, which I think we should talk about too. There seems to be this persistence of of, of people wanting to to still have these face to face experiences. Uh, now, you know, board games is is one thing, but is all of the variety of online games is that kind of coming from that same interest or is it something different yeah abs- absolutely i mean you know the gaming is a subset of play and so you know gaming video games board games sports those are all under that subset of of play and th- those are generally like you know more rule based uh rule based forms of play as opposed to um you know i have a 10 month old she'll start doing something that's less rule based you know much more imaginative but kind of falls under this broader category of like human behavior that you know that i would i would call play um you know, one of the things that got me really interested in games um, was there's a Dutch philosopher named Johan Housinga, and he wrote this book called Homo Ludens um, right before World War II. And this was, you know, it was a lesser work for him. Um, he was a well-respected, uh, well-respected theorist and anthropologist. Um, but his, he basically said that, you know, that games are, um, that play is at the root of all human culture. So it's not that play is a subset, play is the superset. That's Everything out of culture emerges out of um, you know out of play, and that was really inspiring for me because I felt like as someone who was like an entertainment person, I was like I was seeing different places where I'm like ah oh, that that taps into something you know really deep. And so I, I think one of the one of the challenges has been that when you look at the history of video games in particular, we often ignore the pre-video game period. So during the '70s, Dungeons and Dragons was really popular. It's a popular face-to-face. Yeah mostly a board game, right? And then when computers started being developed, that generation of first video game designers were looking for ways to translate some of the experiences that they were having playing games like Dungeons and Dragons into a computer context. And so we ended up with this kind of bifurcation where board games kind of went this one direction and then you know, had computer games and then later you know, computer games and then later video games kind of move in this other direction. But they're really part of the same, the same, like the same family tree and they tap into a lot of the same impulses. And I'm sure you certainly see that. I see that whenever I think about this, I was just home for the holidays and I brought some board games and I was thinking, I'm like, okay, the kinds of game board games that I like are gonna be different from the ones that my family likes, but we all sort of enjoy board games. And Video games are the same way. Everyone's very different. They like different things. They want different things out of those experiences. But they're all part of the same, all part of the same sort of category of human behavior. So board games, video games, and then you know, I would say sports also fits in. That's probably outside of the range of this conversation. But that's uh, that those also they're all very similar in in that respect in terms of what they tap into for for us as uh, as as players. Well, that's funny. I don't know if this is relevant, but you know, one of my teenagers plays basketball and also plays basketball games. So plays two K. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now he, he was into Fortnite for a while as well, but but there there is a striking, um, I guess, kind of congruence between this interest in physical 
basketball and the fact that the game, I guess, is is so re- real. And he, he, at least he claims that he can pick up some some uh, some tactics and strategy from doing this. And then obviously watching basketball, but the three almost seem to like morph together into one whole. And I found that kind of interesting to observe. And I guess that brings us a little bit into the future. But, you know, there are all of these ideas about what games will become and how immersive and wonderful they, they will be. But I guess the truth is also that they're pretty immersive already. Like we immerse ourselves. It's a little bit, I guess that was my question here. Is it, you know, is the interface currently limiting us in games? Or do you think that human imagination is so strong that, we're not really sitting there waiting for the perfect technology to come along. We, you know, we love games and we have loved games for, for forever, regardless how simple they are set up. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting that question of immersion. I think when people talk about that, uh, I think there's at first blush, you would think that like, oh, immersion is related to like fidelity, like how, 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 um, photorealistic the image is. And I think the video game industry, because of the technology industry has really raced towards making that a priority. How do we make something more realistic? And that certainly can be a part of it. Um, but there are plenty of, you know, I would say that the games I played growing up were far less graphically, you know, graphically complex, graphically realistic, but I was 100% captivated by them. And so our, you know, our ability, our brain does have the ability to fill in the gaps between sort of what we might be seeing on screen and what we're feeling at that moment. So I don't think it, it doesn't mean that the desire to make things more realistic is a, you know, on face, a bad one, but making something realistic does not necessarily make, make something, you know, make something necessarily uh, immersive. And we, and we see that with other media as well. Like, you know, go back and watch old films. Like I, I watched the Revenant recently, for example, I'm watching Mad Max again, like these are like highly visually complex films, but you know you can go back and watch older films. I've been watching this film Sullivan's Travels, which is a Preston Sturgis film from you know from the '30s. Also deeply engrossed in that in a different way. The mechanics for that film are 100 percent different, or you know um, you know a film like M, for example. Like these are it, it's not a question of like oh it needs to be more or less realistic. Um, that question of immersion, I think, with gaming is is sometimes uh, can be a bit of a fool's errand. So I, I think we're we're fine. Like if games become more realistic. That's great. If they don't become more realistic, that's great too. I don't think that that will define whether or not something is or is not immersion. So we're both we're both there and not there yet in terms of like what games are and what they what they ultimately could be. Well, I guess that brings us to the question of of uh, how do you create a good game concept? And that a lot of people are interested in this. I'm sure your brands are. You know, if I'm a, a, a game would be game entrepreneur i'm interested in this too like is my game is my idea going to be an actual game how hard is it to create something that has uh i guess these two characteristics where if you're talking about brands they they both games with strong concepts and they have some aesthetics or some ulterior quality to it that it refers back to the brand in some clever way i i mean I'm not trying to do your job here, but I would assume that at least those two characteristics are fundamental because otherwise, you know, my guess would be you could create a fantastic game, but if there's zero relationship, just slapping your brand on it is the same as like, you know, any company just, you know, paying for a, uh, you know, for an ad on on TV or, or, you know, in a sports game, you have to work pretty hard to make the association. Maybe it doesn't matter, but I would assume the the best games you, you're associating it closely in some way with, yeah yeah uh, no with the message yeah so we break um 
we break the world of gaming from a channel standpoint in terms of like where you can sort of be as a brand, live, place advertising, whatever that might be. I'm um, in the three main categories. Um, play, share, and experience. So play is what you're alluding to. So it include making a game, but that also could include things like in-game advertising, for example. Um, the share layer is things that are happening in a community around a video game. So that could be like Discord channels. Um, it could be engaging on things like Twitch. And then we also look at the experiential level as well. So that could be IRL events. So it could be fan conferences, it could be get-togethers, board game nights, um, as well as you know conferences, those sorts of things. Uh, and so we really encourage brands when they're thinking about to try to sort of uh, widen what they think that they want to do and also what they're able to do. Because when someone comes to us and says, like, we want to make a video game, for example, I we really discourage folks from, we really, really discourage people from that being the first touch point for the same reason that, you know, if a brand says they want to record, you know, want to record a, you know, an album or something like that. It's like, oh no, our brand team's going right, to put together right. some music and we're going to try and sell it to the public, right? You'd be like, well, you know, is that your literacy? Like, do you have musicians on the team, right? Making games is incredibly difficult. Um, the good news is, I, you know, I, I think the good news is, is that um, more games allow for more opportunities to do something in game than in the past so that could be everything from placing advertising um, inside of a game itself so there's more platforms that allow for that which is great i think you're also seeing um, some of the bigger games whether those are games like fortnite um, or games like roblox that are looking for um, options with like digital fashion for example so some of the barriers to entry i think for brands in terms of doing something in a video game context are starting to lift it is getting easier that said, super high touch. There are a variety of other challenges. Attribution is a huge one. When you let's say you make an island in Animal Crossing, it's very difficult to know whether or not you know how do people get there, where are they going? You know, because these are games. They're not you know, it's not like Facebook or Instagram or you know where these are advertising platforms fundamentally, and they're built around selling ads. At the end of the day, that's how that's what their business model is. That's not how video games function. They're not designed in a way to maximize uh, to maximize you know advertising, uh, basically mas- maximizing return you know on advertiser spend for brands. So that's just something you have to know, like going into it and making sure that you pick the right place. On top of all of the other challenges, is your audience there? I had someone recently, a woman who runs a fashion line. And she was really interested. Fashion has been um, has, has has been a place has done. We can talk about this a little bit more, but fashion has definitely been a place because of the growth of digital fashion on places like Roblox, Minecraft, etc. Burberry just did a thing with Minecraft, for example. Balenciaga has done stuff with Fortnite, right? Um, which makes a lot of sense. They make you know physical goods, and so creating digital goods in those contexts it makes a lot of sense one to one. But I was asking her like, tell me a little bit about your audience because she wanted to do something in Fortnite, and she's like, my audience is mostly you know women in their thirties and. 40s and I was like you know Fortnite may not necessarily be the best like place for you and that's a consideration it doesn't mean you shouldn't do something in games but it just means that you need to align like what your potential activity is going to be with where your, where your audience is on top of all of the other you know difficulties around like creating well creating that's my question right because if you're work. saying that there's such a variety of games so if there are all of these sort of micro platforms essentially if you're a big brand how how do you deal with that? Because theoretically, you'd have to be in like ninety games to to matter, like not in one game. Yes, okay, fine. Yeah. So if Fortnite fits your profile, that's great. But what if you have a product that potentially, you know, you'd you'd have to split it out in many different games? Are there is that the kind of work that you do? Placements? Yeah, of, absolutely. Of, of presence. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things we just did a um, a big research project over the past year with the folks at Eyes for Research, um, big survey project, just getting a sense. We wanted to complicate the way that we think about gamers um, as a as an audience. And one of the things that we found coming out of it was basically that you know big nets lose a lot of fish. So it the, the most loved and most hated game genres were exactly the same. So amongst people who identified as gamers based on retail spend. A game like Fortnite, like Battle Royale, was a most loved, most loved genre for a cohort of people who self-identify as you basically who identify or match basically meet our screening criteria as gamers. But it was also the most hated in a, for another set of the same group of people who also have a you know similar a similar amount of like retail spend. So I think for brands, it's really uh, an understanding that um, one size does not fit all. Just doing something with whatever the big game du jour of the moment is not going to cover your bases. And also, conversely, there are sacrifices that, you know, because you do something in a given game context, that might be appealing to some people, but it's going to be unappealing to another group of people. So I think just getting an understanding of, you know, that gamers are complicated people and you do need to make some hard choices and that should ultimately be driven by audience research. Um, we do that for clients where we sit down and figure out like, let's look at the gaming lens for your existing audience. And then let's look for a lookalike audience as well to make sure that um, you, what you want to do in gaming is aligned with where your your audience already is. So we had a client recently, um, we had a client recently who was really interested in doing stuff with esports, competitive gaming. And when we spoke to their audience, we spent time with their audience, did survey work with their audience. We found that the things that they were actually interested in was cosplaying, dressing up as their favorite video game characters, and board games as another one had nothing to do with like competitive esports. But esports was the mm. you know that's the thing that was you know on the you know in advertising trade magazines and in media publications. But for their audience, what their audience wanted yeah. was opportunities for self expression, for self identity, and so they're going to gravitate toward and social connection. So they were going to gravitate towards games um, platforms, game communities that allowed them to do that. So um, yeah, the challenge for brands is just you just need to make sure one size doesn't fit all. And uh, just make sure that you do, you do your research and you know who you're speaking to. Um, you know, in that sense, it's not it's not rocket science. And yet you'd be, you know, certainly would be surprised. <laughs> yeah. So I know you did some work with with YouTube. That's one platform. I mean, video more generally, uh, not I mean, it's a broad platform with a lot of things going on there, right? There's creators, and then there's brands uh, themselves, uh, and all kinds of things. And it's a strange platform, really, a lot of stuff going on on YouTube. What? what how do you think around that medium right now? Yeah, I mean, my relationship with YouTube, you know, first started as a, you know, as a reporter, I was reporting on social media. Um, and, you know, YouTube was a site where, you know, memes really developed. I mean, there are other places where memes had, you know, it, it, you know, image-based memes developed, but on the video side, I mean, you think about like viral video, YouTube was the place where things like that happened, right? So someone would upload something on their camera and it will go viral on a place like, you know, on a place like YouTube. Obviously there are other places to do that as well, but you know, that was my first kind of introduction, I think to, you know, virality was definitely like through YouTube. And then later as a creator, I hosted a show for PBS Digital Studios that really focused on um, really focused on video games at the intersection of like games and culture. Uh, but now, you know, working with YouTube, you know, as a client, um, yeah, YouTube is a is a fascinating uh, it's a fascinating place because it does house so many different types of video content. So first of all, games are a huge driver on YouTube. I think 
people don't always know that. You know, YouTube obviously you know curates what you see, what you individually might see, but there's a, a tremendous amount of gaming content on YouTube, and it lives in a lot of different ways. So you have things um, you think about the the life cycle of a video game that would include like an initial trailer, so the announcement for a video game that generates a certain amount of activity. Then when a game is launched, there's going to be reviews. People record videos with their takes, and then there's this huge long tail of um, you know basically tips and tricks, community content, just people engaging with game universes. I mean, it's just it's the the depth here, and it changes obviously from region to region, um, just because you know not all games are played the same in different places, and so you have these macro and micro communities, and you know places like Brazil and in India, and so it's it's been really fascinating to think about YouTube as being this depository. Um, depository for like where video game culture really lives. And there's so much that happens. It's, you know, it's intersecting with each other on top of the content creator side. So you have people from other platforms like Twitch or TikTok who are building a presence on a place like YouTube. So um, it's it's a really, really unique place, I think, for video games. I mean, all platforms are unique, but, you know, YouTube definitely because of the, you know, visu- vi- vi- uh, the visual and video-based component of it and because video games um, are a you know a visual medium. The relationship between uh, between creators and between games publishers and between the audience there is, is really special and really unique. So it's been a lot of fun working with them, helping them identify what are the micro and macro trends that are happening on their games platform. So uh, Minecraft, for example, just crossed the trillion view mark, for example, right? And so we work with them on uh, behind the scenes on on some of the you know announcement and celebratory material that that came out. I wrote an essay for them about the significance of that event as well. But yeah, I mean it's um it's a it's a great it's a great place to play. I mean definitely. Definitely, definitely, I would consider it to be like a first stop for any brands that are looking to do something in gaming. YouTube absolutely will have should be a part of your strategy. So it's funny that I mean there are obviously these uh, somewhat winner take all platforms in in gaming that uh, you know that become very very big. But then there is this persistence of an enormous undergrowth of all these other things going on. It, it must be even frustrating or hard, I guess, to to track that as a professional because it's not, you know, it's not one person's job anymore, right? Because if if it yeah. is just YouTube and that's all, you know, that even that is like massive, right? Because it's essentially Google for video, right? It's it's everything. But then you add all yeah. these new platforms, entrepreneurs, uh, gaming platforms that help people make games, uh, you know, with lower thresholds for starting, you know, to create games, just enormous. So, you know, where do you cut your research off and say, hey, that's too early for me? Like that game, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have three sort of three guiding criteria. We look at organizational fit, we look at audience fit, and then we look at marketing fit. So, organization fit is, organizational fit is, you know, is there, you'd be, I mean, you would be shocked or maybe not shocked. Um, not having buy-in from senior leadership or from peers on a marketing team drives a lot of like what is possible. Like the possibility space of what you can do with games is driven by your you know existing organization's strengths and weaknesses. And so, um, if you have a brand that is uh, communicates to its audience in a particular way, that's going to dictate. Uh, that is definitely an input in terms of thinking about how you should be working with gamers. On the marketing side, marketing fit really just alludes to some of it's related to like what your budget is. For example, that's a big driver. There's stuff that you can do in gaming at any budget level, but having more money 
creates new challenges, but also new opportunities. Having less money has challenges and opportunities. And so, um, and then the, you know, basically what that marketing team has done in the past, are they deeply social literate, socially literate? Do they have the capabilities to monitor something like a discord channel, for example, or is it a bit more traditional and you want to look for something that's say like out of home or experiential along those lines. Um, and then the last one is, is audience fit, which is some of what we discussed already is just making sure that you're targeting the right group, the right cohort of people. And so the intersection of those three things really helps put some shape to like what a brand can ultimately, ultimately do. Um, you know, I do really think that uh, I re do really think that like when we work with clients, that's something I really appreciate is like they can't know everything about gaming. Um, you know, we know a ton even at two five six, like we know a ton about gaming, but there's still areas and places where we still need to dig in and make sure that we really know and we understand what's going on. But that's why I think that that's the you know that's the gap that I was alluding to earlier. People sort of recognize like. It used to be. It's funny, you know, when I when I started, you know, I was at the Wall Street Journal and then started a you know a video game magazine. I often, when I was having conversations with people, they would say things like, "Oh, video games—that's a really interesting niche, right?" And at that time, you know, games were forty, fifty, sixty billion dollar industry. It's not like a small. This is not a. This is not a small thing by any stretch of the imagination. But there was a perception that gaming was very small. Uh, I, I think, thankfully, we've moved out of that stage. I'm less in a evangelistic mode now I don't have to convince people as much that games are a big deal but it creates another set of problems which is like you see you know you're at the you're you're on the beach you're looking out over the ocean and you're like I can see land on the other side but how you know there's stuff there I want to be there what do I need to do to actually get to that place and so that's where we step in and help out so that's something that brings me a lot of joy is just helping people you know basically you know if we can help them cut to the chase chase so to speak and Pick the right strategy to reach the right audience at the right time, um, but that, that's that's a lot of what drives you know my interest in the business, and that's a lot of the value that we like bringing to to clients because you know they it's hard for them they can't know everything you know that's why you need specialists <laughs> that's why you need experts to help you kind of like solve that problem. Yeah, no, I get it, and and I was just going to ask you one question before I want to move to the future and and you know where this is heading, but but first, uh, is it? Um, a problem sometimes that a client might come to you and you know and and have this idea that they think they want to do gaming, but they they have just picked up gamification, right? So they're like, I, I want to gamify this, and and there's no yeah. game in mind. They don't even really want to do games. They just want to gamify. Yeah. So because I've heard that, I've probably said that myself. I mean, let's gamify this. Yeah. Well, so now you're just jumping into some hype word. You don't actually want to engage with a game. You just want to get the aura of a game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, about? you know, the good news is, yeah, I mean, the good news is, is that, you know, I, I have friends who work for other, you know, creative service and professional service firms. Uh, I'm not alone in that respect. The clients come with, uh, will sometimes come with an idea of what it is that they want. So, you know, if you've worked with a, you know, design shop, web design shop or whatever, you know, clients come, it's like, I want this, 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 and this, or I saw this website, is this possible? And you're like, well, that's not within your time and budget constraints, et cetera, et cetera. So some of that is just the nature of working with clients. Um, you know, they pay us. And so um, that demands our respect and attention. So what we look for is to try to uh, try to affirm the impulse, like what brought you here, like what is it about, say, yeah. gamification that you're interested in? Um, is it the, um, is it that you're under pressure? That's why that those fit questions become really important. I was like, are you under pressure to deliver something brand new? Um, is there, do you have some anxiety about missing out on, say, like Gen Z, for example? And this is your way to do that. Um, is it that you're mostly focused on impact and you've been told that gamification is a way to, you know, basically drive conversions? So starting with a set of questions to really sort of get behind that. 
Um, it's something that we see a lot right now with um, like the metaverse, for example. You know, it's been very interesting to me. You know, I've been in in about the game space the last fifteen years, and every couple of years, there's some new term that kind of pops up that is basically just another way to say video games. So. You know, at at one point it was you know virtual worlds when Second Life was emerged. And Second Life is still a big thing. It's you know there are still hundreds of thousands of people that play Second Life. It's you know but it doesn't command the same kind of media attention. And folks were saying we gotta get into Second Life. That's a that's a thing. That's a, that's a thing that we need to be doing. Or World of Warcraft. We need to be getting into you know we need to be doing virtual something in virtual worlds. Then it was gamification when Farmville was popular. Um, you know on on Facebook it was like oh look there's some secret sauce this gamification sauce that we can sprinkle and juice engagement. And after that it was esports, right? So looking at competitive video games that are being played live, um, and now most recently with its metaverse, you know, metaverse, we need to be doing something in the metaverse. At the end of the day, we're just talking about video games, which is fine. And so that's the point. That's the stuff where we try to poke clients. It's like, okay, you seem to be rebranding or just taking things that you're seeing, and somebody's telling you that there's this buzzword that you need to be using. Um, I want to affirm that you're looking in the right spot, but the way that you're looking, the language that you're using won't help lead you to the right solutions. Um, because you know, when you do stuff in gaming, that needs to be a long-term commitment. So there needs to be, you need to make a commitment to do something. It's not a one-off place where you can just do something that's like one-off. Um, gamers as an audience do not like that. Um, you know, I, as any customer, any fandom, they don't like when brands drop in, do their thing, and then peace out. So we just want to make sure that you know, if they're coming to us with a solution in mind, that might be the right impulse. But we just want to make sure that it's done ultimately in the right way. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's interesting you said that about the metaverse because I guess it's it's not that the metaverse isn't anything. There there is a direction yeah. towards immersion in games. There is the 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 thrust is there, right? There's there's a desire. There are AR and VR tools, and there's headsets, and there's all kinds of things happening. But it doesn't amount to a world in any meaningful sense. It's not a place right now, I guess, where where we all are next year going to hang out and change everything that yeah. we do in the physical world. How, how far yeah, away is I mean, that in your mind? Even 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 immersion in game, like true game immersion, for like all of your gaming yeah. hours, you will be immersing. Will you even be doing that? Oh man, you know I you know I I don't know. Um, I mean, I think from a from a hardware standpoint, I think you know my understanding is we're probably whatever we people have in their mind, we're probably ten to fifteen ways, fifteen years away from that. Um, I, I think what I encourage folks to think about is I think there's often a perception that gaming is some kind of stepping stone to some other thing. And the thought experiment I would ask folks to say, like, what if it turns out that the metaverse is only video games? Only being the operative word there. How would you feel about that? Would that bother you? I mean, to me, that's not a bad if the if the only thing that VR headsets are useful for. Um, in a in a you know B two C context, because I think there's lots of B two B applications that's useful for. Um, yeah, I agree. That's context, a whole whole other so, issue. But yeah, I mean, the industrial metaverse actually does exist in, in a certain sense. hundred I mean, percent. There's so, digital twins. There's serious investments for very very limited use cases, like you know docking to the International Space Station. They you know they're actually doing that in in VR. That is happening, but or in like extended reality at least. You know. That, Flight simulators, right? The, you know, a certain there's a certain use case there that's not going to go away. But I, I guess what we're talking, what some people are yeah. talking about with a metaverse, is this idea that it is a 
verse. <laughs> like it's everything. Yeah. It's yeah. 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 Big. Yeah. I mean, what if it is yeah. only the set of video games, or it's only the only reason that people go and buy a VR headset in a in a consumer context for holiday or birthday gift is just to play video games? How would you feel about that? Like, and and so that's the part for me because when we look at like what you know, when we look at like where the metaverse is today, it's like we're talking about a handful of games. We're talking about Minecraft. We're talking about Fortnite. We're talking about Roblox. All those games are over 10 years old um, or around a decade old. So they're not new by any stretch of the imagination. They're very mature and they comprise, they absolutely eclipse things like Decentraland or, you know, Horizon Worlds, like by, you know, magnitude, you know, it, we're not talking like, oh, they're twice as big. We're talking they're like 10, 15, 20 times as big. So um, I, I think this idea that, but it's very convenient, I think, for non-video game makers to step in and say, hey, look, this is, this is part, we're all part of the same community. We're part of the metaverse. So our encouragement is like, look, if what you're interested in is, you know, immersive experiences that allow people to um, engage socially with others, that allow, that create opportunities for brands to create meaningful connections, as long as you're just talking about video games, then you're in good shape. Once you start talking about the metaverse stuff, it's like, yeah, you're talking about something that's like far, far away. And I have to be thinking about stuff that's next quarter, next year, not stuff that's 10. I, you know, as much as I would love the luxury to be able to think on that 10, 15, you know, 15 year horizon um, on behalf of clients, they just, they just don't really have that kind of time. So um, that's the big thing for me. I, I don't, it doesn't bother me as much as it used to, as long as we're being clear. It's like when we're talking about the metaverse, we're actually just talking about video games and we need to be intellectually honest about that and not pretend because what will happen is that term the metaverse that's not going to make it but video games aren't going anywhere <laughs> so I, I just you know it, 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 I just think we just need to be crystal clear about what it is that we're talking about here you think the term metaverse will die or like a silent death basically within I mean I think you know for better or worse I mean you have you know one of the largest companies in the world renamed themselves after this term and so it's kind of like I guess the metaverse will work if Meta as a company continues to work for the long term. But uh, whether or not that term, that the metaverse is something that people continue to use, I, I just, I don't think we, and, and to me, it's like, um, you know, from a, from a branding standpoint, like people don't, it doesn't matter in the same way that like, you know, we used to call the, I think Matthew Balls made this point that like, uh, you know, we used to call the internet the World Wide Web or the Information Superhighway. Like, whatever it is someday, we probably won't call it that. Like, um, you know, augmented reality is a, is a good example. Like, people aren't interested in AR because it's a technology called AR. They're interested in it because it does things like face filters or you can use Pokemon Go. And, but if you ask people like, oh, if you say, hey, look, this thing has AR, that's not interesting to folks. So if you tell people like, hey, this is part of the metaverse, that's not interesting. As long as there needs to be something to do there. Like that, that piece using metaverse as a branding concept to try to shorthand, shorthand your way to an immersive experience is to me just um, that, that elides the hard work of actually making something, you know, making something interesting, making something unique. So what we call it is less, less important to me as opposed to like what we ultimately end up doing and what we do that's driven by, you know, that's driven by hundreds of millions of people around the world, not like a handful of folks at big companies who kind of determine, you know, what language folks are going to use. So humans are very surprising in that way. So that's what makes me pessimistic is like kind of that top-down branding exercise to me feels um, uh, feels like not the right way to go about it. Yeah, so let's bring us back to what I think we seem to agree matters, you know, playing games as an activity that expands the mind in some way and makes us human and, and interesting. Um, where is that going? Because that seems to me even more fundamental, 
right? Um, will we be playing games 50 years from now? And regardless if some of the shell around the game or the name or the platforms we're playing them on will change. But what, what kinds of uh, humans would be, be, uh, be, I guess, if we don't play games? And do you see any of that happening? Is there a danger that uh, we will let the AIs play the games or something and that we would just sit back and, and then not have that enjoyable experience of, of being immersed in a game? I mean, there is something playful, uh, something, well, the word is playful, but is that something we're in danger of losing or do you think it's just so human that it, it is not, yeah. not in danger of being lost? Yeah, I, I'm not concerned. I mean, you know, I think in the short term, I you know, I have maybe some concerns around um, just, you know, I have some concerns about maybe like lock-in. You know, I was, t- I was mentioning, you know, if you look at Roblox, Minecraft, Fortnite, like these games are still very dominant and they've been around for quite some time. Um, there's still a tremendous amount of, so, uh, you know, on the, one, on the other hand, you know, the number of companies generating more than a billion dollars in revenue has gone from 10 to well over 30. And so there is both an expansion in terms of the, because you know the pie is continuing to grow each passing day, people raise their hand and they are playing games. Millennials, some of the research that we did found that millennials are continuing to play games. That's really important. So we tend to think of gaming as something that you quote unquote age out of, right? It's like, oh, I turn 18 and I stop playing games. Our research indicates that that's not the case. That millennials are still continuing to play games. That's certainly true for myself. You know, even though I have a daughter, and you know, um, you know, I don't have as much free time as I used to. Gaming will always be a piece of what it is that I ultimately end up doing. I think it's uh, it's definitely a permanent and fixed behavior for each you know each passing generation. I think for me, the stuff when I think about like the future of games, you mentioned one. Um, what our relationship to artificial intelligence will look like. Um, you know, I think about it in the context of things like chat GPT, where I'm like, oh, I can see video games using that for dialogue someday and creating um, as a, you know, it doesn't, again, that in of itself does not make a game good, like using like AI speech, you know, basically AI speech or AI text generation in of itself does not make a, make a good game. But I could see it being a really cool tool for game creators um, to be able to, to do stuff at scale with small teams. I think that could be really, really cool and interesting. So I, and you know, game, game makers have been using AI for, for years, you know, going back to Conway's game of life. So artificial intelligence and games have gone hand in hand for, for decades. Um, but it, it is, I think the, what it will do for small teams and smaller creators to generate something at scale. That's really interesting really good example is Minecraft, for example, which was developed by one guy. Um, and he was able to do so much with technology, basically creating these, um, basically these seeds of worlds that then would generate these basically randomly generated experiences where you have one guy who creates these entire biomes with um, just a set of a set of code or text. So that kind of possibility for small teams, I think, is really, really interesting. The other big thing I think about when I think about the future of games um, when I was growing up, if you look back, if you look at the history of games, you know, you mentioned board games, board uh, gaming has been social throughout its entire existence up until the video and computer game age. So it's even going back to arcades in the late seventies, once arcades start dying out and there's this gap in between where arcades for the most part, um, in the United States and Europe, and they still live in places like Japan and South Korea has PC bangs and I mean, other places where you have PC cafes and people are playing games, but um, for large parts of the world, video games become a private activity, but the internet is not yet strong enough to be able to deliver 
real-time experiences for large people. So for me, growing up playing video games, you have this huge cohort of millennials going through playing video games, mostly in isolation. Um, video games, if you talk to you know Gen Z and certainly the generations below them, will always be a social experience. That's what's driving them to be multi-platform. They want to play games with their friends through social spaces. So the thing that interests me is that that generation that now thinks of games as primarily being social experiences. What are the games that they're going to be interested in as they get older? And more importantly, what types of games is that generation going to make? Because those are going to be different from the ones that I'm interested in. So I, I think you can't really understate the extent to which, you know, particularly for younger millennials and for um, for Gen Z, how social these experiences are and how destigmatized gaming is as a term. All of their friends do it. Um, it's not it's not a dirty word. It's a place where they go and hang out. And I think that's going to have profound uh, profound impacts on like the future of gaming because the future of gaming is going to be driven by players. It's not going to be driven by corporations. It's driven by players. So, um, I, so that that those are the two big things that those are the two big things that that I certainly look at AI and the social side of gaming. I think those are the two big things on the future of gaming that excite me the most. Super. This was uh, this was a great a great conversation. I, I learned a lot. It's uh, it's a field that I guess we all need to um, need to realize that it's uh, it it takes our own engagement with it to understand it. Right? It's not something that we we yeah. can talk about it a lot. But I you know I I'm reminded that I, you know you kind of go go back and tap into your own gaming experience to to remember what this whole thing is is actually about and then i think we at least if you're younger than 70 right there there were games I mean, there's even table games obviously for everybody uh but it, but if you have had yeah, no, even a remote kind of experience with video games uh there seems to be a continuity there there's something still uh you know at heart it's uh, it's a similar experience but uh, like you said it's uh, it's been more or less social. So I guess that takes us back to the, you studied social studies. So games for you still is a social study. That's good to hear. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's gaming has had a, you know, a, a leadership position with all many different types of technology, um, you know, things from AI, for example, was experimented with video games. For example, if you look at, you know, the last set of, you know, tech entrepreneurs, many of them played video games or got into coding, for example, because they wanted to do stuff with video games. So if you want to get a sense of like where culture is moving, um, gaming is absolutely a place where you need to be literate. I, I think about it in the context of, you know, our own consultancy. Like over time, you know, we think of ourselves as being like specialized. We're focused on strategic consultancy that helps that help brands engage gamers. But I think longer term, you know, the work that we do on the gaming side is going to be integrated into if you want to just reach people, generally speaking, gaming needs to be a part of Nate gaming needs to be a part of your toolkit. We're not there yet, but uh, and certainly that creates a business opportunity for us. But I think longer term, it will become far more normalized as something that people do in some shape or capacity. You are just listening Jamin, it was to a another pleasure. episode Thank you of so the Futurize podcast the with me, Trilnarnevenheim, futurist, oh. scholar, and author. If you are interested in my products and services, feel free to check out futurized.org slash store, where you can book a keynote speech, become a sponsor or partner, request a podcast swap, or buy a few of my books, such as Augmented Lean, Health Tech, Future Tech, Pandemic Aftermath, Disruption Games, or Leadership From Below. If you're interested in any or all of my projects, check out my website, trondundheim.com, which has links to other podcasts as well as my public appearances. Thank you. 
Please share this show with those you care about. To find us on social media is easy. We are Futurized on LinkedIn and YouTube and Futurized 2 on Instagram and Twitter. See you next time. Futurized, conversations that matter.